This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Please, please, please follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, end of the semester. You survived? <laughs> we ain't it ain't done yet man uh many miles before i sleep but i'm hustling i'm out here on the grind and i'm trying to remind myself of joy right like my yeah. my sort of default is when i got a lot of work to do to just feel this onerous burden but then i try to a remember what i'm doing right like i'm studying i'm reading i'm writing I, it, it, mm-hmm. these are things that 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 people all over the world would love to do and it's such a privilege to be able to do that and then to take it to a real deep level i try to remember my ancestors right ah. and like folks who couldn't read who couldn't write who couldn't on, study, who weren't we allowed come, bro, in places where i am bro. and i'm like boy you better hustle <laughs> bro that's crazy that's that just blew my mind right real there. talk <laughs> we complaining about reading and writing and they couldn't even they were killed if they if they learned how to read and write it's crazy no. It's nuts, man. I've also been, you know, I don't operate on the end of the school semester year yet. So (laughs) as as I celebrate with, you know, high school seniors that are graduating and college students that are graduating um, and even, you know, grad students as well. It's just been an interesting reminder to celebrate that like celebration is a spiritual skill. Mm. And I was I was talking to our young adult small group about this um, just last night, actually this whole idea that when we celebrate that's actually something that pleases the lord when we celebrate the good things that have happened the blessings that he's gifted to us and even how prominently celebration features in the gospels how jesus is always Mm -hmm. sharing a meal how he's always uh, gathering with people and that there's something special that happens in the midst of that celebratory moment and obviously the prodigal son right like he comes home and what do they do? They kill the fatty calf, put a robe on, put yeah. a ring on, and and they celebrate. They throw this massive party. And what would it be like if if Christians are known as wild, crazy celebrators? And it's actually something that I figured I figured out is is a lack and a gap in our discipleship. I was talking to some young people um, a few months ago who were telling me about the colleges they were thinking about going to. Or that they got accepted into it. I didn't even know. Like they hadn't even made a big deal about it. One's like, "Yeah, I'm going to this this school. I'm going to that school." I'm like, "Yo, this is crazy. <laughs> Do you realize how awesome it is that you're going? To, you got accepted to this school." They're like, "Yeah, um, yeah, it's cool." I'm like, you know, I'm like, what? You no, know, don't take this for granted. Like, really? we need to throw a party. Yes. Like, how can we like big you up even more? How can we like? They're like, well, it's, you know, I don't want. To. I'm like, yes, this is a big deal. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Oh man, so, I get so geeked. 
I go around town. So I'm, I'm back in the town where I used to teach. And now it's crazy, right? So I started teaching a long time ago. And so my students, my students who were sixth graders when I first got them, they're now, you know, grown. They're that out boy, of college. Oh, they're that working. boy Jamar's old. Look at Jamar. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's a smaller gap than you think, and you well know this as a as a as, <laughs> as working with youth as a pastor. You well know, know this, know. but uh, it's crazy, man. I, I look. I I ran into one of my former students at uh, at a drive through at McDonald's, and he's hmm. a truck driver. Wow. And he just started, but he's doing so well. They transferred him from the state routes to the national routes. He's making good money. He's taking care of himself. He 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 seemed like he looked good. He was in good spirits. Man, I was so proud of that kid. Yeah. And then another student, I ran into her, uh, a cashier at Walmart. She got accepted to Duke University on a full ride. Is heading there this fall. What? I mean, I'm like... Bruh. This is crazy. We need to like the whole put this in the newspaper. The whole town exactly. needs to know about these things. We need to celebrate in general, but especially our kids, man. Yeah, you, you're right on point there. There's a theology there that that, that we need to yes. work on in terms of our discipleship. Look yeah, at Tyler I, bringing it in deep. Look, just man. starting hey. off that way. Listen, man, I love these kids, bro. Amen. I just love them, man. I was hanging with one of our young people who was in a theater production on Sunday, and it was crazy because I knew he did some theater stuff. And I told him, I was like, man, it was like a year and a half ago. I said, man, invite me to your stuff. And it was it was nuts because he never says anything at church. Oh. Like, he's like a high <laughs> by type of kid. Okay. But, I mean, you know, that doesn't, like, bother me. It's just like, he's just like a high by type of kid. He'll smile. But he's not talking, you know, and other kids are like wild and they're class clowns and things like that. But he gets up on that stage on Sunday, man. And I was like, who is this dude? I said, wow, man. And he was just at the end. He just went back into his little introverted. He was like, yeah, it's all good. I'm like, bro, you got accepted to a college where only 2% of the applicants make it. A a theater program where only 2% of applicants make it at Florida State. I'm like, bro. This is like he's like yeah, just tried to try to work really hard and God bless us. And I'm like these kids need we need to throw parties. This is this throw a party for somebody for real. This is what we say. Throw a party for somebody this Look. week, this weekend. Celebrate. The like, heavens, heaven's gonna be a banquet, and I don't think it's gonna be like this. You know, formal affair with you know white tablecloths and sixteen different. Types of Look, but I ain't there. mad if that's what they do. I mean, that's it what may be all that, but I know it's going to be loud and it's going to be fun too. So we may Come as on, well man. practice in in a holy East. way. In a holy way, of course, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, all right, we we got to get on point because man, we could just talk about this forever. But this is just a reminder: celebrate something that God has blessed you with. Celebrate someone who has achieved and he accomplished does. something yes. that is laudable and worthy. Of praise. Okay, so last week we talked about a theological seminary that had a controversial photo, and it got me thinking because this is a conversation that we've had frequently. It kind of keeps coming up, but this conversation surrounding Christian schools, Christian or private Christian education, and their relationship with racism, racial bias, etc. Now, I'll lead off by this brief disclaimer. (laughs) I'm not an expert on this. I'm going to defer a lot to Jamar for the history 
of kind of the background and Jamar has a particular connection to this as uh, a principal, as someone who has worked and taught in the school system. And so I, I honor that. Also, you know, it was recently National Teacher Day. So I honor you, Jamar, as a teacher, honor all the teachers who are listening. Thank you all for your sacrifices and everything that you've done for us. Without you, we would not be where we are. But so I'm not going to step in and, you know, be this educational expert. But if you want to talk about experience with private Christian schools, mm. I think I have a little bit of experience <laughs> as to what that looks like. Uh, went to a, a private Christian academy for 13 years, graduated from there, went to a private Christian school, connected to that academy for two years, and then transferred out to, as most of you know, Liberty University um, in Lynchburg, Virginia for another two years. And my sister is getting ready to graduate from that school, the academy, next week. And so my brother actually graduated from that academy two years ago. So we're all lifers, as we like to say, 13 years in each of us, I think, or 14 years, I don't know. Um, And so it really brought up this idea of, man, what is the relationship with Christian education and the affirming of blackness or the non-affirming of blackness? And one of my friends put out a tweet recently talking about the ways in which the Christian education system uh, propagates and continues and and basically re-traumatize, re-traumatizes black students through ethnocentrism or through racial bias in ways that they may not even be aware of. And so I just, I don't know, Jamar, I think this is, this is an important conversation because as, you know, I'm advancing in my life and thinking about children in the future and everything, I'm like, man, what does it mean for us to have Christian education? We say, oh, we want our kids to have a Christian, like, what does that mean? And what is that, what is the trade-off going to be for educating a child in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord in a, in a, in a school setting and also at the same time affirming their blackness. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. You know, I almost don't even want to talk about it and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because folks aren't, aren't listening. The people who can make decisions aren't responding. And, and, and I know as soon as people hear that, they're going to immediately jump to exceptions. That's wonderful. I, I, I I'm, I'm so grateful for the men and women, particularly in leadership, who have really committed to this thing. But let's be honest, it's typically one or two folks uh, at those levels, and they're working against not only folks within their organization, but maybe a board of directors or trustees, funders, alumni, all those kinds of things. So it always takes more than a couple of individuals, no matter what level, uh, to, to, to really turn the ship here. Um, but those exceptions aside, there's this this wall. And I, I really am convinced it, it is spiritual blindness. I mean, the, the, we are fighting against principalities and, and spiritual powers. Say that, bro. Say that. Uh, that, that, that. This kind can only come out through prayer. You know what I'm saying? Um, and here's, the, here's what I've noticed. Here's the progression. There's oppression. There's an attempt at cooperation, and then there's separation. So, hmm. typically, break that down. Break that down. <laughs> typically, uh, so let's just take this context that we're talking about: Christian or private schools, which are, if if you're talking about evangelical types of institutions, they're predominantly white usually. And so, say wow. you're an African American in one of these schools. 
you go in and you experience some sort of oppression, some sort of marginalization. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone calling you a name, although that happens. <laughs> Amen, Tyler? Yes, it does. In 2017. In 2017. Me, it, it is happens. way more common than you might think. Um, so, so, so those overt forms of racism still happen, but there's also the subtle ways, the, 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 the ways that communicate to you as an African-American or a racial minority that you are not, quote, one of us. And, and that can come out in the applications and the illustrations that are used by professors mm -hmm. in class. It can come out in the curriculum where you don't see any or very few people of color. It can come out in the politics or the assumed politics of the institution where, of course, everybody is going to vote this way or, of course, everybody is convinced that the political way to address this biblical and moral issue is X. It can come out in a lot of different ways that communicate to you that you're, you're not one of us. So, right. so there's that realization. And then there's attempt, an attempt to work within the system, uh, an attempt at cooperation, an attempt at integration. But, but, but what folks often find is that integration often means assimilation. And so, yeah, you can be, quote unquote, one of us as long as you're, quote, just like us. Whether mm -hmm. that's the way you talk, the way you dress, what you read, what you believe, uh, how, how, how you talk about where you come from. And so it actually flattens out diversity. It doesn't celebrate it. And then after you do that for a while, and some have more stamina than others to persist either in that institution or denomination or whatever it might be, then it becomes to a point where you realize, okay, this isn't working and no one's listening. So my options are A, to assimilate like they want me to. B, to um, become more confrontational and try to provoke a response because the methods and the tactics I'm using right now aren't working, or C, go off and do my own thing with my own people. And uh, you can look through history. This is how a lot of black denominations got started. This is how right. a lot of um, black schools got started. A lot of black institutions got started. And so I'm saying to white evangelicalism as a culture. There are many folks who are at the point of wondering, is it worth it? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, that sounds yeah. blunt, but look, we, we know who our core audience is. Um, African-Americans who self-identify as reformed. And I'm quite sure from my conversations in person, text messages, conferences, all that, Many people will say amen to that. And it's not an animosity thing. No. It's just, you know, the definition of insanity is right. doing the same thing and expecting different results. So, yeah, if we have to sit in a place of constant explanation for the next 30, 40 years, come on, man. are we going to be productive for what we could prepare for this next generation? You know, I think that's the, the calculation that we're making. And, you know, another thing that brought this up, Jamar, was I was, I was recently watching the documentary I'm Not Your Negro. About oh, man, I'm, I'm one third through it, dude. It's it's crazy. Yeah. And so one of the points that Baldwin makes and probably his most famous video clip um, is the point about, hey, I don't know if all white Christians are racist, but I can only judge that by the state of their institutions. Wow. And, you know, wow. Baldwin is Baldwin is brilliant, right? Like Baldwin just is just crazy with the way that he addresses the the soul ravaging effects of racism the the mm. the personal effects not just on the oppressed but also the oppressor as well and Baldwin did that in a way that if you watch the documentary you'll gain actually more respect for 
contrasted mm. to some of his contemporaries, which is the whole point of the documentary, um, which is his relationship with Dr. King, with Malcolm X, and with Megar Evers. So I think people will see that and thinking about the institutions, it's like, well, I don't really know if every single person has this heart posture of bias or bigotry. That's, that's, that's not what we're saying. But we can only judge what people believe by what they do. And we can only judge how they feel about us by how they talk about us, how they react to us or what they don't say as much as what you know they do say. So for me, whenever people talk to me about this issue, they'll say, well, how do you know? How do you know that <laughs> Come on. Christian schools, you know what I'm saying? It, it always becomes that. And so I'm like, hmm, okay, so I have to first get together all my evidence, gather my facts. So let's just say this at the outset, that if that's your knee jerk, if your knee jerk is, oh, how do you know? That's probably the wrong starting place because that assumes a lot, right? And I'll hear this from well-meaning Christians who only deal in what they consider to be empirical facts, this rational you know, oh, assumption man. of this is, okay, you have to give me a case for me to believe this. Like you being my brother is not enough. You have to give me a case for, for believing. So I said, okay, wh what can we take away from the current state of Christian education in micro cases, in general cases? And I'll say this, I think you, you judge how someone is doing by the state of their institutions so you got to judge the curriculum. How does the curriculum affirm and celebrate diversity? Ooh. How does the curriculum affirm and celebrate blackness? Now, it's funny because I went back and looked at some of my curriculum, trying to figure out like how did we talk about blackness because I didn't really hear anything about it. So how do we how do we talk about it? And it's just funny the little things you'll find in the textbooks if you're searching. The little things uh -oh. that you find, like, uh -oh. for example, and I'm, I, I'm not going to put people on blast. I'm just saying, for example, a general example of a slave's day, they got spirituals because God gave them these songs so that they could cope with slavery, recognizing that the only true freedom is freedom from sin. Wow. Oh, yeah. So um, the, the, the uh, civil rights movement, it was good, but it also introduced... Um, Lots of socialism, lots of communism too. Mm. Oh yeah, the KKK, they were they were bad, but they also acted as reforming agents and they used the cross and they were really fighting liberalism. And and you you're sitting back and you're like, whoa. Bro, where so you this is you've read So this Yeah, man. So <laughs> so this is not like this is not some general like I'm talking about specific examples. I have receipts. So if you want to hit me for receipts, hit me up. I got receipts. I'm dead serious. So when people say these types of things, like, how do you know? I'm like, yo, you haven't, you haven't read the books. And then I'm like, this Man. is why I was only reading Thomas Sowell and Clarence Thomas and, <laughs> and, and these people, because these were the only people that were mentioned positively in our, our curriculum. These were the only people who are mentioned positively in our lectures. And it's funny because when we just sit at curriculum, is... Christian curriculum providing a complex, diverse, empowering image of black the trail of tears. And we're not even we can we can step away from, from blackness. And we can talk about our Native American brothers and sisters, how they have been so well the trail of tears, God used it to save many Native Americans. What? Like, huh? That's that's what that's what the focus is? 
like the focus is this horror was used. Okay, God used, and so it's this over spiritualization, yeah. and it's just also this dichotomy between spirit and body. Yeah, I so like, yeah, yeah, that was bad, but you know. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, the, the slave owners, they were like, you know, they, they had their blind spots. But here's the thing. They believed in God and they they taught the slaves the Bible. And, and you're, like, you're sitting back like, oh, so this is what I was taught. And this uh-huh. is why I believe. And this is why I've been asleep. This so morning. you got woke. Nah, man. Uh-uh. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. We didn't uh, say that, Jamar. See, this brother brought up woke again. Woke is look, dead. You said you were asleep. Listen, y'all tweet. I, I, y'all have been tweeting Jamar. Keep tweeting him about how dead hey, woke listen, is. Listen, if we gave up every term that was appropriated, we would. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. That's cool. I still dab. Like it's all right. The dab ain't dead. But here's the thing. All I'm saying is, it's a poor descriptor for. Racial awareness. Anyway, okay, so keep keep okay, moving. Keep okay, okay. So, so, oh man, there's so much to this. I didn't even know we were going to go down all these rabbit trails. But look, Bro, it's listen, an epistemological issue, right? Let's get it. Doc. So, so when it comes to the issue of race, because you could probably argue that on other issues that aren't quite as contentious, this isn't as true. But in general, especially in reformed circles, there is a a hypervaluation on intellectual knowledge as weighty and as the kind of knowledge that counts. There is an undervaluation of experiential knowledge, which counts, right? We don't live as if our experience doesn't matter or doesn't matter much. In Mm -hmm. fact, we are shaped profoundly by our personal experiences, and it matters in the way we make decisions, whom we choose as a spouse, where we go to church, all of these things. But when it comes to race, we say, well, prove it. Show me the data. Show me the empirical evidence that race is part of this equation. And we almost completely, and I say we as in, I mean Christians, white evangelical Christians in in particular, Mm-hmm. Folks almost completely discount the lived experience of racial minorities as if it's not as important or not as real right. as intellectual knowledge. Right. Uh, they do the same. We do the same things with feelings, right? Uh, where, where if one person feels offended, especially around a racial issue. That doesn't count. You know what? Mm-hmm. It does. Whether you agree or not that it had anything to do with race, if if your brother or sister is hurting, you need to listen to that. You need to sit with that. And if you mm-hmm. were part of that, you need to figure out what you can do to fix it. Period. Yeah. That's Bible. That's not right. sociological, liberal, left, nothing, which I think is pejorative without any sort of, it, 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 it's just, it's sort of random. We don't need to make those things pejorative necessarily. We need to be right, discerning. Absolutely. But anyway, absolutely. it's an epistemological issue as well. But we can bring it down, and I'll let you. I'll let you steer this conversation back to the topic at hand: private Christian schools, because I think all of it plays into how leaders in these institutions listen to and value the voices of racial minorities who are there if they can stick right. it out. Yeah. Okay. So let me give you another example. Another example. So one example would be be curriculum. So this is that's a pretty obvious example. Um, another example would be faculty, right? So Ooh. what is the 
what is the representation of black teachers to the students there? Are students used to learning from black voices? Right? You can notice how certain students will treat white teachers versus how they treat black Ooh. teachers. You can also notice how certain students, or certain teachers won't stick around, right? Like I had a black fifth grade teacher. She was only there for that one year and then she left. You know, now she's in a completely different field. And I've never talked to her about this, but this is, it's pretty obvious how she was treated and how different she was treated versus the other teachers, right? And the other teachers are lifers. They're there for years. And there are obviously exceptions to this rule. But then I think a third thing that's really important is the cultural bias that is present. The cultural bias. So what do I mean by that? Private Christian schools typically have stringent rules on wardrobe and dress Mm -hmm. and appearance. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. If you have those, I mean, do your thing. But the problem is if many times they are attempting to assimilate people into a cultural norm because they have some sort of disdain for cultural distinctiveness and but, some but sort Tyler, of cultural expression. That has nothing to do with race. We're just, we just want to present a, you know, positive a clean image. Clean yes, I'm, I'm well aware. Listen, listen, I'm well aware of the language <laughs> that they use. But here's the thing. What are they what are they doing without knowing what they're doing? Mm. They're stifling young people from the expression of even their hair, even the way that they wear their clothes. They're slowly but surely indoctrinating them into the idea that this is the right way to carry yourself, that there is a right way to carry yourself and that there is a wrong way to carry yourself. And much of that is based upon um, ethnocentrism. That's based just upon a cultural subjectivity that is not objectively the Bible says this is right and the Bible says this is wrong. No, it's just it's just cultural subjectivity. And then this goes into what they encourage you to do. I'll tell y'all this, man, because this is kind of a known fact. But we were forced to sign something. It was called the green, the green sheet or the green page. And, and everyone knew it. every year you were forced to sign this. And you were forced to, to sign this saying, this is what this is your pledge of what you will not do as a student of this institution. And one of the things that they would say is you're not allowed to listen to any music that would be considered hip hop, rock, um, rap, what was another thing? They didn't say country because that's not, they oh, didn't wow. say that. No way. And then anything they, they also that would be music. considered, yes, this is also anything that would, would be considered Christian, CCM, Christian rock, Christian rap, or they, they called it so-called Christian rock and Christian rap. So they actually put intentional, and we had a chapel service about this at the end of every single year. They actually put intentional restrictions on our conscience, they actually literally <laughs> bound our conscience to listening to music. They said, if you do this, you will be brought before the administration. Whoa. Right. Now, I just want y'all to understand, like, this is the, the subtle mentality. And so what the what is the mentality? The mentality is um, there, are, there are better cultures that are better at expression than yours. <laughs> there are ways of expressing and there are ways of artistic um music or artistic expression in any way, shape or form that are better than yours. This is rampant in private Christian schools. Like this is not something that's like, oh, you guys are like the one school in the area. No, like, you know, and and again, listen, 
we are not impugning all Christian schools. If you have an exception, you know somebody who does well, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm praise God for them. I hope that they continue to affirm uh, black and brown students. But that is something that is serious. That is something that we cannot neglect. And then when we talk about curriculum, faculty, wardrobe, and expression, and then finally, you see it in the students. Mm. How your fellow students treat you shows how they're being discipled and formed to think about blackness. And my brother and me and my sister all have very specific stories of students saying things or saying things to us or about other people in our presence that would blow your doors off. Mm. I mean, you would sit back and say, is this 2017? Mm. And we're like, ah, well, you know, those students, they're kids and they're doing this. And that. somebody taught them to say that. They heard that from some somebody. They heard that from somewhere. And they're being discipled and formed in a way to think about blackness. And we we sit back and we're shocked why 81% is, is a real thing, right? Wow. We're shocked. Like, oh, 81. Well, you formed them to think about these things in this way. Jamar, you need to take over. I'm saying too much. I'm no. saying too much, Jamar. It's, so, so, oh, man, there's so much to unpack there. I think just going off your last point, the percentage of racial and ethnic minorities in the student body is not necessarily an indicator of racial awareness or responsiveness. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. folks need to understand because immediately people will jump to the fact, well, our student body is diverse. Great. Is your leadership diverse? Because that's what make the diff what makes the difference. My child, who's who's very young, we had to switch out of a private Christian school, which was you know, probably forty sixty, uh, black and white, so pretty good mix. Um, the problem wasn't in the the level of diversity among the students. The problem was the leadership from the faculty to the staff to the administration was all white and particularly the leader of the school, who had very little uh, experience, from what I could tell, uh, in any sort of meaningful kind of cross-racial uh, communication or interaction. And so because of that, it played itself out in terms of discipline and suspicion toward my brown-skinned child in ways that made my child at a very young age not even want to get out of the car in the morning to uh, when we dropped him off um Man, automatically bro. knew that that there was something about this institution that was devaluing in terms of personhood hmm. and 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 there's there's this sort of instinctual i think it has to do with the image of god that that no matter what your age you have a, a very instinctual sense that you ought to be treated a certain way. Now, that can be dulled over time, especially through trauma, but I think it's there, which is why there's always been struggles and endeavors and campaigns against unrighteousness. Um, right. But my child can sense that, and, and we could too as parents, and we hated it. And so we had to mm -hmm. switch it out because of racial and cultural ignorance. And I don't yeah. think it was malicious. But look, right. this is what happens when you make decisions and have your decision makers in a completely, almost completely homogenous environment. And, and let me say this, man. Thank you for sharing that, first of all, man. And 
we know that as parents, that's a very traumatizing thing to watch your, your kid go through trauma. Um, and so just, just wanted, want to affirm you and thank you for sharing that. But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about something that has real world effects yeah. for the psychological well-being of black and brown children. You know, this is something that is serious. Like, you know, we wonder why kids one day, you know, get upset, just, just randomly just get upset, you know, or they'll just break mm-hmm. down and cry or they'll they won't want to go to school or they'll, you know, these are things that regularly happen for students in these institutions where they just feel unwelcome or they just feel like, why do they think something is wrong with me? You know, I had a, I had a teacher tell me, you know, when I was in, in fourth grade, you know, I couldn't get a problem right in math. I couldn't understand something. She said, well, maybe you're cursed. What? I'm like, I'm like wait, what? what? I was like, what did you say? I, that stuck with me. I said, well, maybe oh I am. Goodness. You know? And, you know, when my mom wow. got done with her, she wasn't really, she wasn't <laughs> saying that she backpedaled. But, you know, it's, it's, it's these subtle things and sometimes explicit things. And so I was talking with somebody about this recently. Being black and reformed is all about what are you willing to endure? Mm. That's kind of the general that's kind of the general experience. And then I was thinking about it really being black and, and evangelical. Wow. And being black and evangelical in the South is <laughs> all about what are you willing to endure? Like, what are you willing to go through to still claim these things? What are you willing to go through to still operate within the same institution that is so antithetical to the gospel that you believe? And so if people are looking for just real world, tangible things to do, I'll just say two things. And because I know we got to wrap up, but just two things. I was recently at a Christian school locally. They invited me to come talk about this. And it was a good conversation, um, talk with their 10th through 12th graders. It was a good conversation. I didn't actually really know it was going to be explicitly about race. They didn't really tell me that uh, on the front end. But then it was like a Q&A type thing. And it was good. But I spent some time afterwards talking to the two black young men in the room. And I you was just trying to affirm them. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. But I was just trying to affirm them like, yo... Man, is yo, how do you feel? Like, are you? It's like, yeah, I really, I feel some, I feel this way sometimes. I don't really know how to express it, and I don't really. And I'm like, you know, just affirming them, encouraging them, trying to to uphold their dignity, letting them know they're not, they're not out of order, they're not, you know, abnormal. God created them this way for for a reason, for a purpose. And sometimes we forget that young people don't hear that in these contexts. And I gave them books to read and things like that. Because if we don't do that, nobody's right. going to do that. Like people are just gonna people are just gonna go on throughout that day. We have to interrupt the mm. oppression. If we do not interrupt the oppression, it'll just continue and it'll be propagated. And then the second thing I'll say outside of affirming is if there's one thing, I, again, I said this at the beginning, I'm not an expert in education. I don't know all the complexities. There are people who have far more experience than me, but there's one thing I can do, I can read. Audit your curriculum. Audit these textbooks. Yo, hold people accountable. Read the sections on the civil rights movement. Read the sections on slavery. Read the sections on the Confederacy and hold people accountable to that. Circle, highlight, and and come up to the school and say, why do you say this? What makes you think that? And I'm telling you, we got to hold people accountable for this stuff because they just using the same curriculum that has not been audited according to the perspective of the marginalized. And then we wonder why this continues. It's because nobody's standing up and saying, look, 
on page 68, <laughs> on page 225, what, you know, what, you know, what research did you do to get to this place? The, the problem I've seen, very, uh, it's becoming clearer to me, but the problem I see is from many white, white evangelicals, a fundamental distrust of the individuals and the institutions who produce that kind of scholarship and write those right, kinds right, of books. Right. So there is no corrective there. It, it's just this bubble of, of theologians and certain trusted public intellectuals. And that's it. To go outside of those bounds would be to get into dangerous, ungodly territory with which I think completely disregards uh, general revelation and common grace. And so, you know, it's sometimes harder than just hey, reading, you know, and, and d picking up different books and whatnot. No, it is. Uh, there, right. there is a lot of resistance that I've seen to even tr going to those sources and thinking you can get something valuable out of them. And I think the people listening to this podcast probably get that. This is maybe one you need to share with your professors or um, administrators at your institution, whether college, graduate, or K through 12 level, please do. Um, and we're not trying to be offensive or, or unnecessarily offensive, no, I should say. Um, bro, like, listen. But look, this is listen, real. If you get convicted, if you get convicted off this, that might That's be good. God. Yeah. Um. So, so deal with that. But if, you know, we're not trying to add offense, like I'm saying from the outset, this is something I'm working through. I'm working through unlearning and kind of recovering from the trauma of 15, Man. 17 years That's at a, you know, in Christian That's institutions. Right. You know, so I'm trying to figure this out. So I'm saying, what do I do with my kids? And we were just talking about this a couple of days ago where someone's like, oh, when you have kids, you're going to put them in, in this school. I'm like, no. They're like, well, before the fundamentals and everything. I'm like, but they get indoctrinated mm -hmm. at such a young age. So I'm thinking about homeschooling. You know, I'm thinking about other avenues. So I, I don't know. So I don't have than, the answers. many white evangelicals because we thought about homeschooling too, but not because... not exclusively because we wanted our child to have a, a Christian foundation. That's great, and we do. But the, the pressing matter was racial and cultural formation and making sure that we raise our child with a positive image uh, that is not constantly denigrated in, in overt and, and subtle ways in a predominantly white institution. So... What are you willing to endure? That's the question. That's what are you right. willing to endure? And, and, and that's just the that's just how, the calculation. How long will these institutions, uh, uh, you know, allow you quote to be there before they make it known in various ways that you're not welcome? Uh, that that's a problem. Yeah, we all run into at some point when we try to assert our dignity against uh, the 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 prevailing status quo. As far as practical advice I could give is a couple of things. Number one, for white people in leadership at private Christian schools, I need you to understand the urgency of this. Many leaders I've encountered treat issues of racial and ethnic diversity as a nice add-on to their institution, something that 
augments what they do to give them maybe a slight edge over another institution so they can recruit students, get more tuition. It's not as it's not as blatantly, you know, pragmatic as that. But really, you know, it, it's it's a back burner issue when it comes right down to it. Uh, Tyler mentioned a, a few minutes ago that recovering from the trauma. And I can attest to my own experience as well and just affirm what he said. It is traumatic to go into an institution, particularly a Christian one, where you're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and and yet in many of those instances feel more ostracized and more excluded than you do in the secular culture. That is a terrible testimony, I think, for our institutions. And if you want to do something about that, you've got to realize that racial and ethnic minorities are being hurt every day in major and minor ways at predominantly white institutions that refuse to be responsive to their concerns. So I need you to understand the urgency. Number two, black people at these institutions, um, I'm not always going to say persist, there are definitely situations when you need to leave. But if you are invested in improving the institution for yourself and for those who will come after you, you unfortunately will oftentimes have to bear the burden of explanation. You are going to have to be mm. the one who talks about racial issues, who breaks it down, who confronts, who disrupts, who interrupts. Um, and that's not fair. It's not a burden you should have to bear. And true allies who uh, are white, they'll intervene and they'll beat you to the punch as far as trying to interrupt mm -hmm. that ignorance. Nevertheless, you know, if you if you want to be part of the solution at that particular institution, and I'm not saying everybody needs to be, but if you want to, you, you're going to have to have those conversations with you know, classmates, with administrators, with teachers. And uh, all I can say is... This is why RAN and Pass the Mic exist, is so that we can be even right. a virtual community to let you know you're not crazy. Um, we're tired, just like you are. And we're some folks who are like-minded across the racial and ethnic spectrum uh, who, who you can come to. And, you know, the Pass the Mic group is, is up to what now, Tyler? 3,000-something? Yeah, so we can't account for every individual in the group. But I can say the um, moderators, shout out to the moderators. Tyler's heading that up, and uh, the folks he's working with are doing a wonderful Shout out to job. the moderators, Kevin, Nicole, Ali, Noel. Shout out Killing to you. Doing a great job moderating that discussion group. And if it's a place you want to go, even just to listen and and say amen uh, in front of your, your laptop or your smartphone, whatever, uh, we're here for you. So persevere. There's a community out there for you. Um, other than that, we have an entire website <laughs> devoted to these kinds of issues. We do. We do. We have we a website. Uh, I can tell wow. you the address. It's rannetwork.org, R-A-A-network.org. And we address a variety of topics, but I think pretty much all of them will be informative as far as how to become more racially sensitive and responsive. So visit the website, listen to the podcast, share this broadly, and can't thank y'all enough for listening to our hearts. I mean, we kept it real today, Tyler. <laughs> we always A little do. bit too real, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this yeah. may be a little too real for some. I, I actually, yeah, well, I actually want to say this. Like, I do, if you have stories, I actually want to hear them. I want to hear stories. 
And if you have suggestions or if you have other alternatives, I want to hear those as well. It's rare that I'll just put that out there, DM me on Twitter or send me a message on Facebook. But I mean that, like actually do that because I know there are some great examples of schools who are doing great things and we'll definitely highlight them and and bring them on as well. But I do also want to hear from the people who have gone through similar things and they've never been able to say it and it's been painful for them. And I just want you to know we're with you. I just want you to know there are thousands of people who have the same exact story or similar stories. And, you know, there's life after that. So, and, and I don't mean life after Christian education, that's not what I'm saying, but life after ethnocentrism and racial ignorance or bias, even within Christian institutions. So thankfully, you know, why do we talk about this so much? I was saying this recently. Why do we talk about this so much? Like, why do we, if, if the Bible does not sugarcoat Moses's murder, if the Bible does not sugarcoat Abraham lying and trying to pass off his wife to get out of of being killed by the Egyptians. If the Bible does not sugarcoat David committing adultery and maybe even rape um, as well with Bathsheba, if the Bible does not sugarcoat this stuff, then I think that God can handle us talking about racism. I think he can. And I think he can redeem it. And I think he can address the institutions and root out that, that bitter that bitter seed there. So that's, that's what I believe. Um, hope you guys enjoy this, uh, this podcast and I uh, hope you guys continue to like, uh, the podcast rate, review it and subscribe it on iTunes and also on the satchel app as well. Follow us on Twitter at underscore pass the mic. Um, you can also follow us at Rand network, like us on Facebook, Rand network and join the pass the mic Facebook group. It's a private group. I think you'll really enjoy it. Go to Facebook.com, put in Pass the Mic. If you're waiting to get in, we're trying to manage the numbers. So <laughs> bear with us as we try to add more moderators to manage the group, which is in the thousands. So bear with us. You will get in. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. And we'll see you soon on the Pass next the- Pass the Mic. <laughs> see, I just drew it out. <laughs>